This is my friend Jess. Uh, so I'm just going to start um, with a little bit of info about what I do. So I am a seminary student. I think most of you know that. But what I do, in addition to being a student at the seminary, is I work with students who are un in the undergraduate program. Um, and I help with a, with a program they're implementing that is, they're called Wesleyan Small Groups. You put freshman students into small groups. Uh, they're also known as class meetings. It's from the Methodist tradition. The whole purpose of these groups is for people to come together, small groups of people, and talk about how goes it with their soul. That's the whole premise of the group. It's not a Bible study. It's not uh, scripture. It's not anything like that. It's you get together and you, and you ask each other, how does your soul prosper? How is your life with God? So for the past year and a half, I've been working with that program, with those groups, and uh, it's wonderful, and I love it. But as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, God really put on my heart vulnerability. And I, at first, I'm thinking, absolutely. Not only have I thought about vulnerability a lot in the past several years, it's something that I feel like is becoming really important to me, but I'm working with these small groups where you're supposed to talk about your soul. Like, what is more, more vulnerable than that? So I'm thinking through, okay, what I'm gonna say, how I'm going to tie this all together. And uh, it became increasingly clear to me that although I spend a lot, many hours a week talking to people about what it means to be vulnerable, about how to share vulnerably, uh, I kind of suck at being vulnerable. And that was, that was a little bit of a harsh realization uh, because it's something that I, I try to do well um, but the reality is that being vulnerable is, is an easy thing to miss. It's really easy to wall yourself off um, even when you think you're being vulnerable. And vulnerability in and of itself, uh, it goes against so many habits that I've created, coping mechanisms, you know, ways to kind of keep myself safe and look really good to people. Uh, and when you're actually vulnerable with people, uh, those things, you can't have those in place. They don't stick. So vulnerability in and of itself is uh, the state of being open to injury or hurt. Um, it's allowing yourself the possibility of harm to come to you. That's what it is to be vulnerable. And the refusal to be vulnerable shows up in different ways. Um, as Christians, though, it's vulnerability comes to us as something that uh, is a little, I would say, a little bit more important than it might be to other people. Because we serve a God who made himself vulnerable for us, for salvation, for our ability to live full lives. Um, and, and because of that, um, the choice that we have to either embrace vulnerability or to, to run from it, uh, is a little bit more intense in our day-to-day -day life. Um, it's, it's not something that we, can, that we can refuse to engage with and then say that we are, we are living fully for, for God because God is a vulnerable God. He did that by choice for us. And he did that as an example of what it means um, to love fully as well. So in the passage... Um, we read about Jesus 
and his inter some interactions with his disciples. But from the beginning of the entire book of Mark, um, the, the very beginning of the book, Mark tells his readers that Jesus is the son of God. He just puts it out. He's the only gospel writer that does that. He's the only one that says right at the beginning, Jesus is the son of God. No questions. We're just going to put that out there at the very beginning. You don't need to wonder. And then throughout his book, there's kind of this back and forth between this person of Jesus and the people of the disciples. Because the disciples continuously misunderstand why Jesus is there. And they misunderstand what he's saying. And they don't get it over and over and over throughout his whole book. They're seeing Jesus and they're like, power and God's awesome might. And, you know, he's really big. Power, power, power. And Jesus is saying, suffering. Like, I am here to suffer. That's what this is about. And the disciples don't get it over and over and over again. And so the Gospel of Mark has us encountering this picture of God that is defined by perfect love. Love in suffering. Love despite of suffering. And that perfect love means a willingness to take risks. Um, and when you take a risk, you are being vulnerable. And that's exactly what Jesus did by coming in human form. Being human just like the rest of us. Um, a God who doesn't need to be vulnerable decided to because that's what we needed to be saved. Um, and that is, that's what sets our God apart from the other depictions of God, of gods. Uh, other religions don't, often don't have a picture of God that presents himself falling, falling on his face in the garden, um, crying out, begging his father for any other way. And so, like Dave talked about a few weeks ago, um, in, his, in a sermon, servanthood defines um, so much of what it is to serve this God. Servanthood, um, that's the type of God that we serve. So, um, like we read before, when Jesus and his disciples had come to a place called Gethsemane, means oil press, for those of you who are wondering, Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to feel despair and was anxious. He said to them, I am very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert. Then he went a short distance farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. And it goes on, talks about how he came and found his disciples sleeping after he had told them, stay awake with me. And in this, this passage in particular, as I was reading it and reading it and reading it, I, I felt like I could practically taste Jesus' vulnerability here. Um, the angst that was in his heart. And it wasn't something that he wasn't uh, aware of. He knew it was coming. He knew that, that what was ahead of him, he had known about that for a long time. But he still stayed in that place. He still stayed vulnerable. Uh, there are so many times when he had the opportunity, Satan tempted him and said, you know, basically, rid yourself of this vulnerability and I'll give you all these things. Uh, and Jesus said, no, this is, this is what I'm here to do. Um, in fact, even just Jesus' posture in this passage is a lot of what scholars use to, uh, to de not debate, but to um, 
to claim that this, this, this passage, thank you, is accurate because for Christians, way back when they were writing this, um, to have put in writing that your, that your God went out um, and was saddened to the point of feeling like he was going to die, to fall on his face when in that culture you prayed standing up, um, to be so such, such a mess in front of God was not something that would have helped their cause. It would not have made people think that what they were saying was true. Um, but because that was real, they put it in there. And now we can look back and say, you know, we can trust what this says because they were willing to put something in about Jesus that didn't make him look all that great. Uh, and G- so there's a theologian, a professor um, who passed away recently. His name is William Potcher. And um, he wrote that uh, God suffers because God is vulnerable. And God is vulnerable because God loves. And it is love that is finally the point. Uh, Jesus was the exemplar, the, the paradigm, the archetype of what it meant to be fully human. He was the perfect human. And because of that, um, because he lived a fully human life, um, he was able to embody God's love for humanity and God's solidarity with humanity, both both of those things. Um, and that love and that solidarity takes place in the midst of our incapacity, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of lives that don't get to choose our physical vulnerability. Um, we don't get to choose that because we are human, but God chose that in order to meet us in that. He became vulnerable because he knew that was the way to restoration and redemption. And he did it because of love. In Philippians chapter 2, um, we're exhorted to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and becoming, by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the very name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That last part about him being glorified because of that is what we think about a lot of times when we think about who God is, who Jesus is. Um, he's glorious. He's been resurrected. But we can't forget that beginning part. We can't forget the fact that he emptied himself first. And he not only emptied himself in order to be like humans, but he emptied himself to be like humans and then to die on a cross. So with Christ as our example of what it means to be human, we can see that to be vulnerable means to be fully alive. When we are vulnerable, we are living the way that Christ has shown us to live. And we have to allow that for ourselves. Um, We do get a choice to an extent. We can choose if we're going to open ourselves up to hurt, to pain, to harm, to attack. We don't have as much of a choice about our physical bodies, um, but it's not enough just to say that, oh, well, I'm human, and so I'm vulnerable in some ways, and we'll leave it at that. It's not enough. 
so what does it take to, what does it look like to make ourselves vulnerable and by doing so to love incarnationally, to love the way that Jesus did by coming in human form. Um, going back to William Platcher, um, he also said that only a God weak in power but strong in love can be strong enough to take on the world's pain and die on a cross. Trust in such a God can give human beings the strength to risk following on the path of compassion and vulnerability, to think what it means to live lives whose first priority is love. Over the past three weeks, um, Dave has talked to us about growing in a few different areas, particularly compassion and forgiveness and servanthood. Um, And in my mind, vulnerability is a really big part of each one of those. It's really essential to doing each one of those and living out each one of the things that Dave's talked about. Um, Because to be compassionate means that we open up our hearts to other people and to the hurt that's around us. Um, As Dave, Dave said, compassion equals movement that is a response to our own hearts being moved. And our hearts can't be moved if they're closed off. We have to open ourselves up if we want to be compassionate. Um, and we open ourselves up to hurt that way, but we still choose to live with compassion. And similarly, with forgiveness, um, it takes laying down our pride in order to both give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. And pride keeps us from being vulnerable. So if we want to forgive, it takes an act of vulnerability to say that this relationship is more important to me than the hurt that it causes, that, or that has been caused between us. Servanthood, I think, is an interesting one in light of vulnerability because it seems as though you should be able to serve people, to do good things for people without being particularly vulnerable. And I think that that happens a lot of times. I think that we attempt to help others without really um, opening ourselves up to what it means um, or what it could mean to, to let them into our lives. Uh, but what I, and I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about, I guess, in the sermon as a whole, what it means to, to open up and kind of share life with other people. Um, but even though I'm talking about the sharing with other people, I just want to emphasize that the sharing does not just mean um, talking about deep emotions and sharing hard stories about your life or confessing sin to one another. It's not just that type of sharing. Uh, because when we serve and when we put others first and open ourselves up, um, there are other ways to do that. We can be vulnerable when it comes to our money. Tithing makes you vulnerable. You're trusting that even with less, God is going to provide. So we can be vulnerable with our money. Um, We can be vulnerable with with our actions, with what we choose to support. Um, Protesting against injustice may make others scoff at us and criticize us. Um, But we can open ourselves up to vulnerability by doing the right thing that way. Um, And we can be vulnerable with our time. Um, When we serve other people and we give of our time to them, um, we're letting them know that they're worth our time. We're opening it up to be asked of more time. We're giving up something else that we could have been doing. Um, Service in a lot of ways requires vulnerability. And vulnerability is what it takes to have deep and loving relationships. So this is, like I said, this is my friend Jess. Um, And I, as I was thinking through 
you know, what does it mean to be vulnerable and how have I been vulnerable? Um, a lot of times it's hard to tell because I think I'm better at being vulnerable when I don't realize that I need to be. Because um, when I realize I need to be, then I kind of want to shut off. But Jess and I have been friends for over a year now. And uh, we, last fall, hit a, hit a point in our friendship where things changed. I mean, it was really over the matter of about two weeks. Um, so we were friends for like 10 months. Good friends, I think. Like We saw each other every week at least, um, if not more. Um, but we were just good friends. Like That was pretty much the extent of it. Um, and then in the fall, she helped me move. So that's one thing. And when somebody helps you move, um, that service requires that, number one, you let them into your home, which is a disaster because you're moving. Um, for my personality in particular, I just, I, if somebody's going to come over, I vacuum and I clean everything up and I don't want people to see my mess. But Jess came helping me move. Um, also, I, was, I had a back injury recently and so I couldn't do much and so Jess really did have to move all of my things. Um, she had to ask me what, what I wanted her to do. She had to take over some things that I tried to do. Um, there was this back and forth and back and forth where she gave up time for me and I had to give up a whole lot of pride um, to take the help that she was offering me. And then shortly after that, probably like the next week almost, um, we had a conversation in which I confided in Jess about um, some things that I was dealing with that were really difficult for me, but also brought a lot of shame. Uh, and Jess listened and showed me grace. And those two, two days over the course of two weeks, our friendship is totally different now. Um, and we even had a conversation about this. This is why I figured I could put this in my sermon is because we talked about this and we were like, whoa, we weren't friends like this like three weeks ago, but now we are. What caused that? And it was vulnerability on both sides. Um, and that's... Uh, it makes relationships beautiful. It really does. Um, and there's no other way to, to get there in a relationship other than vulnerability. In the passage, we read about um, how Jesus confided in his disciples about the state of his heart. Um, he told them to remain and watch. And, and we can see that as, as him telling them to, to kind of be in this with me. I need you to be agonizing with me in prayer um, during such a really difficult time. And it's not easy to ask that of people. It's not easy to say, this is the state of my heart. I need you to be in this with me. Um, particularly in our culture and society, when uh, relationships so often thrive on efficiency and productivity and independence and um, kind of a tit for tat, what you can do for me and I can do for you, but only so much as we are, it's always going back and forth. Um, we protect ourselves from being vulnerable by um, denying that we need people, by pr trying to prove that we're okay, by trying to prove that we can do things on our own. Um, and we get caught up in the, these cultural norms of, of attractiveness and self-sufficiency and um, productivity and all of these different things because we don't want to face the fact that we're not perfect and that we may not be in control. Um, day in and day out, um, we want our identity to come from just this feeling or this proof that we're complete on our own. And the irony is that in our neediness um, that we're attempting to cover up, that's where we're able to find wholeness. 
is needing other people acknowledging that and opening ourselves up um, to live into that and love people through that. So, um, so why be vulnerable in a world that's not really open to that idea? In 2 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about um, his weakness, and he says that God said to him, my grace is enough for you because, po- my, because my power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest in me. Therefore, I'm all right with weakness, with insults, disasters, harassments, and stressful situations for the sake of Christ, because when I'm weak, then I am strong. We are made strong because Christ was weak on our behalf. How many of you have heard of Brene Brown? Some, oh, not as many as I figured. She's a researcher. She does a lot of, like, social type research, um, and I had to watch one of her videos for class recently, and guess what? It was all about vulnerability. Um, So she had done some studying up on what she dubbed wholehearted people, Uh, and granted, this is not coming from a Christian perspective, um, but I think it makes absolute sense when we think about it um, with what we know about Christ, and she said that she discovered that wholehearted people were people who fully embraced vulnerability. This is her research. She's a researcher. She said that uh, believing that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful, and this is how they lived wholeheartedly. Um, Things like the willingness to say I love you first, the willingness to do something where there are no guarantees, or the willingness to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. Um, All these wholehearted people possess the courage to be imperfect, the compassion to be kind to themselves and to others, and connections as a result of authenticity. And we get to do those things because Christ did them first. He is an example for us, and not only is he an example for us, but he is the one that gives us the power to do so. We can call upon him and know that he knows what it's like, and that because he is God, he has the power to help us do that. Um, The connections as a result of authenticity was interesting to me because um, our shame is often a fear of disconnection. So we're afraid that something we do, something we say, something about us is going to disconnect us from other people. Um, I, I experience that over and over and over. I have a tendency to do everything I can to give people no reason to disconnect with me. If I say the right things, if I do the right things, if I invest enough of my time and my energy and I don't say anything mean and my sermon is perfect, then nobody will want to disconnect with me. So that's how I try to make sure. But being connected to people as a result of authenticity requires that you're not perfect because we aren't. Shame and fear both unravel connection. Um, and shame and fear come from this place of vulnerability, but it's, but it's this picture of vulnerability um, that tells us that we're going to be disconnected if they see all of us, rather than we're going to be more connected because somebody sees all of us. And I talk about all of this in we form because I think that there is 
something about it that, that is across the board. It happens for everyone. Um, but a lot of this is coming from my own experience, coming from that place where I, I try to be perfect enough um, to keep from being rejected. Um, I see a counselor every other week. She's fantastic. Um, but that's a place where almost every other week I'm faced with the fact that, oh yeah, I tried to be perfect again this week. Oops. Um, and that, the, the desire to be perfect and the fear of being disconnected keeps us from being vulnerable, um, whether that's in what we are telling people, like what I'm trying to put in my sermon to make sure it's really, really good so that you'll like it and then you'll keep liking me, um, whether that's the, um, the interactions that we have with coworkers, with friends, wanting them to see our good side, not wanting them to see when we're struggling with something, um, whether it's the opportunity to share something about our faith, but being nervous about what the other person's going to say about it, and so we just decide not to. There's so many, so many pieces to this in all areas of our lives. Um, and the wrap-up of Brene Brown's study that I watched, she said, vulnerability is the core of shame, fear, and the struggle for worthiness, but it appears it is also the birthplace of joy, of creativity, of belonging, and love. Without a willingness to be vulnerable, we can't build deep and lasting relationships in life. There's no better way to gain a person's trust than by putting ourselves in a position of unprotected weakness and, and demonstrating our belief that they will support us. And as a church family, as Christian community, not only do we get to believe that they're going to support us, but we get to believe that the Holy Spirit, who is working in that person, who is working in their life and our life and bringing us together, is also going to be part of that support system. It's not just me and the other person anymore. It's me and the other person and a God who became vulnerable to us to save us and give us the opportunity for reconciliation between us and God, and between us and other people. And I get it. It's one thing to, to say that I know that God can see through my mask and see who I am. I'll be vulnerable with God. And it's another thing to let other people into that, because there are no guarantees. Jesus was was in the garden, he asks his disciples in agony, please stay awake, please stay awake and pray with me. And they let him down. He was vulnerable in all senses of the word because he was about to die and also with his heart to his disciples, his, his close, close disciples. And keep in mind, Jesus did not like walk across the football field way, way far away from them, and then start praying. He was like, in Luke, this, this same passage, it talks about he was a stone's throw away. They could hear Jesus praying. Not only because he was close, but also because he was crying out. They could hear his agony, and they couldn't stay awake for him. It's not easy. There are no guarantees. But I love the way that uh, C.S. Lewis put it. It's hard not to love the way C.S. Lewis puts things. But he says, uh, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Granted, I think it would take a lifetime for our hearts to be so at a loss of love that they would be irredeemable because God can redeem so much more than we can imagine. But Jesus knew what was coming up. He knew the difficulties. We don't have any idea what's coming up for us. He knew them and he still chose to be vulnerable as a human being. When the last thing that I want to note is that, like I said before, it's not a matter of simply us and other people. Um, God is there in the midst of it. Jesus was crying out. The son was crying out to the father, but he was doing so um, through the Holy Spirit. And we get to do that as well. Um, we have the Holy Spirit's discernment about how to live vulnerably. Because it's not, we shouldn't just have no walls whatsoever. Um, I had a professor recently who, who addressed this topic talking about a castle and that um, the bridge to a castle, the bridge and gate part, um, is really important because you open it up and, and people come in and can find refuge and relationship and life um, being part of that community. Um, but there is a point where the castle gates need to close in order to stay safe. Um, they shouldn't be closed all the time, but there is something to be said about discernment. Um, Jesus didn't shout his distress from the mountaintop for the world. He shared it with people close to him. So the Holy Spirit helps us with discernment, and it also helps us with the strength that it takes to live lives that are marked by vulnerability, because it's not easy. And Jesus gained strength through prayer. He prayed for what was ahead, and he was able to face it. He was able... Um, to come up against it knowing that this is what God's will is for me. So let's do the same. Let's embrace vulnerability through God's strength. I'm trying to decide if I want to say anything more, but I think I'm going to leave it at that. Um, we can reach out to God as Father, as Abba Father, as we grow in our vulnerability and open ourselves up to relationships, to um, the scariness of tithing when our finances are already low, the scariness of giving of our time when we aren't sure how much of it we have to give, the scariness of serving someone else, um, the fear and shame that come from people seeing us deeply, all those things that aren't pretty, our mess, the mess in both our homes and our hearts. But perfect love moved God to take on human flesh, to be utterly vulnerable in order that we could have the opportunity for reconciliation um, between us and God and between us and other people. So let's do as he did and grow in vulnerability. And in doing that, we can reflect his incarnational love. Will you pray with me? Thank <laughs> you.
Father God, you have given us so much, and there's really no way for us to completely understand what it was like to choose to become like us. To spend a life here on earth when you didn't have to. But all we can do, Lord, is to say thank you. To say thank you with our words and also with our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we go out and attempt to say thank you with our lives, that you would continue to strengthen us. Help us to know how to love each other with open hearts, God. How to let walls come down when it's needed. How to serve others without as much thought about ourselves, about how we are presenting who we are, but rather that we are presenting you and your love. Thank you for giving us a community in which we have the safety to practice being vulnerable and to grow in relationship with other people who are also willing to be vulnerable with us. We pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.